The text for the sermon this morning is taken from Paul's letter to the Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 15 through 21. Ephesians 5, 15 through 21. See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is, and do not be drunk with wine, in which is dissipation, but to be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord giving thanks always for all things to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another in the fear of God. After the proclamation of God's word, we will sing from Psalm 119, stanzas 40, 49, 62, and 65. Congregation of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, brothers and sisters, can people recognize you by the way you walk? Or to use the words of Paul's letter in chapter 5, can people tell that you are living under the influence? Of course, that's a bit of an open-ended question, isn't it? What influence? Right? But that's precisely the point. Also the point of our, our text this morning where Paul speaks that we have to be filled with the Spirit, influenced by the Spirit. Are you living under the influence of the Holy Spirit or are you being influenced by something else? And so the Word of God comes to us this morning with this command to be filled with the Spirit. It is your responsibility. And we will consider, first of all, what this command means, secondly, how we are to make this a reality, and in the third place, how we are to express this reality. So let's begin by coming to terms with the command in our text, be filled with the Spirit. It might sound strange that Paul is making a comparison to the wine and the Spirit, but the point of comparison isn't all that hard to understand if you have ever seen a drunken man or woman, you will understand why Paul is using this analogy. We are not to be under the influence of alcoholic spirits or we're living under the influence of drug-induced dreams or hallucinations, but we are to be filled with the Spirit. The Apostle is using a unique expression here that's not used in other places in the, in the New Testament. Normally the Bible speaks of God as the one who is doing the filling. But here Paul gives a command to the church. Church members are to take this upon themselves. And this language of being filled is no coincidence. Paul has made a reference to this being filled several times already in this letter. At the end of chapter 1, for example, we learn that the church is Christ's body, the fullness of Him who fills everything in every way. And in chapter 3, 
Paul prays that we would know how high and deep and long and wide is the love of Christ so that we might be filled to the measure of the fullness of God. And then in chapter 4, verse 10, we learn that Christ ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. And he gives gifts to his church, 4, verse 13, so that we might become mature attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. And now we are urged to be filled by the Spirit, the same Spirit by whom we have already learned the fullness of Christ. Now it's important that we understand, and it's helpful that we understand the the grammatical construction of this phrase, this verb, to be filled, it's in the present tense which in the original Greek describes an ongoing and continuous action, something that is ongoing in the life of the Christian believer. Paul is speaking here of something that doesn't just happen once in a while. And it's ongoing, continuing activity. It speaks of being filled from day to day with the Holy Spirit. And so the apostle is describing a continuous experience. You will also notice that the verb is in the passive voice. It doesn't say, fill yourself, but be filled. So it describes something that happens to me. We are to be filled. It's not fill yourself, but be filled. Allow yourself to be filled. This command runs parallel to Paul's prayer in chapter 4, where he prays that the saints, you and I, may have the strength, among other things, to be filled with all the fullness of God. And so the way, the way that Paul words this command to be filled by the Spirit certainly doesn't give the ind- indication that we are to do this in our own strength. And yet, yet the verb is also in the imperative, which means it's a command. Do this. Go and do this. Be filled. And so here is an ongoing experience in which we are passive in receiving the fullness of God's grace, and yet there is a command that we should, we should be this, we should live this way and do this. It's as if the apostle, the apostle is saying, open yourself to this. Open your mouth to receive this. Open yourself to be filled constantly with the Holy Spirit. Open yourself to the influence, the ongoing influence of the Holy Spirit. The Lord always spoke to his people this way. In the Old Testament, for example, he said through the psalmist in Psalm 81, open your mouth wide and I will fill it. And the parallel passage that we read from Colossians 3 says almost exactly the same thing. And there we also get a clue as to how we are to obey this command to be filled by the Spirit. You probably noticed all the imperatives in that passage as well. Put on kindness and humility. Put on love. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. A whole list of commands. In other words, be under the influence of the Holy Spirit and do not be under the influence of alcohol or drugs or any other kind of thing, any other idol Also mentioned in those preceding verses in Colossians 3, because these kinds of things lead to debauchery. 
And the first part of Colossians 3 makes it very clear what debauchery is. So the conclusion is that the person who is under the influence of of alcohol and drugs expresses this in his actions and, and shows it in how this influences and affects his brain. But so in the same way, the Christian who is under the influence of the Spirit expresses this in his actions and shows this in how it affects his mind and his thoughts and also his words and actions. And so then how are we to make this command a reality in our lives? How are we to do this? How are we to learn to walk spiritually? Well, Paul already spoke about this and emphasized this earlier in the letter. To be filled with the Spirit means that we are to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which we have been called, 4 verse 1. It means that we must walk in love, 5 verse 1. Walk as children of the light, 5 verse 8. And then we come to 5 verse 15. Be careful how you walk. Again, this is familiar Old Testament language. In the Old Testament, our lifestyle is often described as a walk of life or the direction in which we are walking. Think of Psalm 1. Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked. It's about our lifestyle. It's about the manner in which we walk. Be careful how you walk, writes Paul. Why? Well, he said, once you were living in darkness, but now you are following the light of the world. Now you are light, but you are still living in a dark world. And when you live in in darkness, you have to be careful. You have to watch how you walk. Because in the dark, you you could trip and fall over something. And so we need to watch our feet. We need to tread carefully. This imagery is also used by others. The Apostle Peter, for example, in 1 Peter 2, is speaking there about our need to endure suffering willingly and patiently. And then he writes the following, For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example, so that you might follow in his footsteps. We have to learn to walk carefully. But our Lord Jesus Christ has already shown us the way. But walking in someone's footsteps takes concentration, doesn't it? Boys and girls, you know that when you're following somebody's footprints in the snow. You have to watch where you're going. But walking in the footsteps of Jesus also takes spiritual concentration. That is why we are called to be careful and not careless. Because we love the Lord Jesus Christ. The response of those who love Jesus is to take great care as to how we walk. Because we know that He loved us. And we want to please Him. And so we're called to walk in a way that's recognizable. And Paul mentions specifically three things in verses 15 through 16 of our text. First of all, not not as unwise, but as wise. We are to be characterized as people of increasing wisdom. This, too, is an an Old Testament theme. Live in wisdom, not in foolishness. That's the theme of the book of Proverbs, for example. It teaches the way of wisdom. And we have to remember, of course, that wisdom is not simply the amassing of knowledge. There are many people who are very knowledgeable, but not all of them are wise. You see, wisdom is to take the knowledge that you have 
and apply it to your daily life in a good way, in the right way. Wisdom has got to do with using your knowledge of God's Word and using it in your life. And furthermore, we are called to make the best use of every opportunity, make the best use of the time. Some older translations use the word redeem, to redeem the time. That's a word that comes from, from the commercial context of, of people being busy in the marketplace. Picture a man who takes advantage of, of a really good sale and, and buys up everything that's available. To redeem, redeem the time, then, is like saying that we Christians have to snap up every opportunity that comes. Since Jesus has redeemed us, He has also redeemed our time. And so we have to place not only our lives under the influence and authority of the cross, we also need to submit our time to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, because we belong to Him, body and soul. To buy up time for the glory of Jesus Christ means then that we have to live disciplined lives. We must learn to deny ourselves. And that goes against the grain, doesn't it? It goes against our natural instincts of how we would like to use our time for ourselves. But Paul writes we are to make the best use of the time because the days are evil. And we live in a day that's not a whole lot different than the days of Paul. We live in a culture that is in bondage to entertainment and amusement. We're so tempted to, to fritter the time away and use it for things of secondary importance. And so every Christian should ask, am I using my time for the glory of Jesus Christ? Right? We so easily use our time to, to work harder, rise up the corporate ladder, make more money so we can afford a bigger home, so we can afford that vacation that we think that we deserve. Or we use all our spare time to entertain ourselves. We live in a society in which people all want to be entertained and amused. But this is a dangerous pastime, congregation. And we have to be careful that we do not entertain ourselves to death, to spiritual death. And why is this so dangerous? Well, Maybe let me put it this way. It's a good idea to take inventory of your life. How much time during this past week did you spend on your knees and in Bible study, in intimate conversation with a fellow Christian? And how does that compare with the time that you spent in front of TV or on the internet, on Facebook, playing sports, pursuits of pleasure, or just plain being bored? Right? Those things are the spirit of this age. How much have we as Christians breathed in the spirit of the age? And how much do we display that we are people of the Spirit? You see, to walk as children of the light means a whole lot more than just being decent people and good law-abiding citizens. It means that we are different, that we live radically different, and that includes how we use our time, that we are careful with the use of our time. It doesn't mean, of course, we may not be interested in all these things, in art and sports, and enjoy the good things that life has to offer, but it does mean that we do not become in bondage to these things, amusing ourselves instead of building ourselves, amusing ourselves instead of building the church of God. We need to ask ourselves, are we too busy to pray 
and too busy to read the Bible and too busy to give our time for good things. And if that's true, then why is that true? Are we marked by the spirit of this age or do we redeem our time by submitting it all to the Lordship of Jesus Christ? Also our spare time. Our Lord Jesus had time off too, but he used it to refresh himself so that he could better serve his Father and his disciples and the church. So let us then too learn to walk wisely, making the best use of the time. And Paul further in verse 17 also explains what it means to walk wisely. Therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. He calls us not to be foolish. He's referring again to what he wrote already in verse 10, that we are to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. And surely this is also basic to the Christian life. How are we to be guided in life, congregation? By understanding the will of God. Think of Psalm 19. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. How do we find out what pleases the Lord? How do we discern what is good and acceptable? By immersing ourselves in His Word. By putting into practice the Lord's will. That's the language of insight and of wisdom. The wise Christian has insight into God's Word and the knowledge of God's Word and how to apply it in instances in our lives. And of course, this requires much prayer and study of God's Word. Prayer for the spirit of illumination. But more often than not, we are, we are foolish people, aren't we? We often find ourselves wondering what to do and relying on our own abilities. And sometimes maybe we even find ourselves wishing for a direct message from heaven telling us how to resolve our dilemma. It would be so nice if we could go to our closet and pull out that fleece sweater and lay it on the deck and say, Lord, please do for me what you did for Gideon. But do you realize, congregation, what stands out the most of all in, in, the, in Gideon's narrative? It's not so much that, that Gideon was wise, but that he was doubting and even disobedient. That also comes out later on in his life. We read about Part of, his, part of his story, the angel of the Lord came to him and said, the Lord is with you. But Gideon, Gideon says, but Lord, how? And the angel said, go and save Israel. But Gideon says, Lord, how? And the angel said again, I will be with you. But Gideon says, but Lord, how? It's as if Gideon didn't want to believe it, kept on throwing objections. And what stands out in this whole episode is that God is so patient with Gideon It's an illustration of God's mercy that in spite of Gideon's foolishness and asking a strange thing from the Lord, the Lord still answered him. And we might experience that sometimes as well. The Lord can give us guidance too and show us what is right even if we foolishly choose to depend on our own wisdom. Sometimes even then things still go okay. But God wants us to be mature Christians using our time wisely and immersing ourselves in the word of the Lord to understand what his will is. God doesn't want us to remain lambs, but he wants us to become mature sheep, not muddling around trying to figure out ways to live, but relying on his word for our life. And so those who would be filled with the Spirit 
have to stop looking for answers in a sheepskin because we have the Word of God. In 2 Timothy 3, verse 16, Paul writes to Timothy that all Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness so that the man of God might become equipped and complete for every good work. That is how we ought to live. We have to have our our mind and our heart and our affections soaked with the Word of God. Know your Bible. Be filled with the Spirit. Store up God's Word in your heart. Think about Psalm 119. David doesn't sing about a sheepskin, but he sings about the law of God. But then if we are going to do this, we need to redeem the time too. Like a squirrel stores up nuts for the winter, we have to store up God's wisdom in our minds and our hearts. We have to redeem the time. How can we obtain maturity in the faith? How can we be filled with the Spirit? How can we become wise and understanding Christians? Only by using the time wisely and by working hard at it, by letting the Word of Christ dwell in our hearts, living under the dominion of the Holy Spirit. How are we go on being filled? We must, as it were, make God's Word our own, make it part of us, becoming the person filled with the Spirit. And then we can also do what the Apostle describes in the following verses, verses 19 through 21. Here he describes how we are to express the influence that we are under. Again, you you will have noticed identical thoughts in Colossians chapter 3. And notice all the participles, those I-N-G words. These are all words that hang on to the main verb, be filled. Literally, Paul writes that we are to be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another, singing, making melody, giving thanks, submitting to one another. All these commands hang on that main verb, to be filled with the Spirit. It, it transforms your life. It transforms your life verbally and musically and relationally. And note that Paul doesn't say, sing to one another, but at least in the, in the ESV, the translation that I used, he says, speaking to one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. So the apostle is interested in what we are saying to each other. It's the content of the songs that is important, and we are to use these songs to speak to one another. Sometimes we have the idea that all our singing must be directed heavenward. But if you look through the book of Psalms, for example, you will notice that the psalmists often are introspective. They're speaking to themselves or to their fellow citizens. A psalmist speaks to the Israelites too. In other words, we may not deny our fellow Christians the words that we are singing. Your songs, especially in corporate worship, are meant to encourage your fellow worshipers, to build them up in Christ. So being filled with the Spirit affects the content of our songs, and it affects our life musically. We are to be singing and making music in our hearts to the Lord. The Lord loves music. After all, He created it. He loves to hear our singing. And so the melody in our singing and our hymnology is also to be directed to Him and to one another. And we are to give thanks in everything. Being filled with the Holy Spirit affects you verbally, musically, and thankfully. 
And so, brothers and sisters, do we express these things? Are you always giving thanks? If we look back at verse 4 of this chapter, Paul says there is to be no foolish talk or crude joking, but instead there is to be thanksgiving, and he repeats that here. And that should make us sit up and pay attention. We live in a very thankless world, and we're so easy and quick to complain. It's too hot, it's too cold, it's too dry. There's too much snow, and then we haven't even gotten started on the kids and the teachers and the church. Is there anything in life that we don't complain about? Be thankful for everything. In this, too, we are called to be imitators of God and to walk in the footsteps of Jesus Christ. Thanksgiving also has to be a regular, ongoing activity in the life of a Christian. And it means our life must be filled with a thankful attitude. Even being thankful for the benefits that we receive from the trials and difficulties in our life. And that doesn't come naturally either. That can only come by someone who is a spirit-filled Christian. And finally, we are to live submissively, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. That congregation is the clearest evidence of being filled with the Spirit. It means that you are willing to say, you first and not me. And that was a quality that was despised in the first century, just as it is today. The Hellenistic world in the days of Paul despised humility. Right? You can't, you can't climb the corporate ladder if you're humble. And being humble allows people to walk all over you. And it won't help you to get what you want out of life. Right? The world advocates pride and self-assertion. But to follow in the footsteps of Jesus is to walk in humility. And we need to apply this in every aspect of our life, in marriage, in family, at work, and in the church. And that's what Paul explains in the following verses, chapter 5 and also going into chapter 6. Submission to the order God has established is the mark of one who has been filled by the Spirit. And so we come back to the original question, Are you living under the influence? You can easily recognize a drunkard from a distance. A drunkard is staggering, unable to control himself. Drunkards are often aggressive. They use abusive language. And if they're singing, you can tell they're not singing in tune. But a Christian walks differently. The Spirit-filled Christian follows in the footprints of Jesus Christ. And this is evident in his speaking and in his singing, in his attitude of thanksgiving and submission. The Lord Jesus wants us to be filled with his Spirit, brothers and sisters, so that we can display him to others. So that with our speaking and singing and thanksgiving and submission, we bring to God's people the person and glory of Christ, our Savior. So let us pray that we will all be continuously equipped for that task by His Holy Spirit, and may we all continuously live under His influence. Amen.